So, yeah, we got the first slide. Kingdom come. You know, it's, it's hard for us to imagine what it would be like to be a first century Jewish person. You know, there are, are three major times that we know of in Israel's history where they were taken captive. Uh, obviously, the first is uh, the Exodus story. They were captive in Egypt, and they were an oppressed people under Egyptian rule, and the Lord delivers them uh, miraculously uh, through the signs that, that Moses um, showed Pharaoh and then leads them out through the, the desert, uh, through the, the sea. And so God miraculously saves his people from, from um, bondage and slavery. And then uh, God's people, they, they, they sin against God, and they're taken captive uh, into the Babylonian captives, and they live as captives in Babylon. Um, and life is terrible, and again, they find themselves as slaves, uh, but the Lord delivers them again. And after that, Israel did not learn the lesson, and then they're, they're I guess, overcome by, by the Greek Empire or the Persian Empire, then, then the Greek Empire, and eventually by the Roman Empire. And it is the time of Jesus. We, we find these Jewish people, most of which have been scattered from their homeland. Most of them have lost most of their culture, and they're living in a city where foreign soldiers walk the streets and impose foreign laws. And most of us can't imagine what that would be like to live in a place that was not your home, to live in a way where your culture and your way of life had been oppressed and dominated by a conquering army that was taxing you, that was oppressing you, and that was doing everything they could to take away your language and your culture. And this is the setting this is the scene that Jesus enters into. And so to put ourselves in that first century Jewish mindset, I'm sure there was a lot of frustration and animosity towards the Roman rulers, to the Roman oppressors. And in fact, we see this group of people, some of which became Jesus' disciples, known as the Zealots. They were people who were willing to take up arms to try to resist the Roman government, mostly um, with little hope. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, most people are looking for Jesus to overthrow the Roman government, to set them free in a physical sense, and to give them back their heritage and their culture. And even Jesus' own disciples, after three years with him, they didn't understand what it was going to look like for the kingdom of God to come. And so we see in Acts chapter 1, we're going to Acts chapter 1, we're going to read verse 4 through 8 first tonight. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, Jesus is talking with the disciples before he sends, ascends to heaven. It says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, listen to their question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Or will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' disciples wanted to know if Jesus was going to take up arms, if he was going to call down angel soldiers, if he was going to do something to physically overthrow the Roman rule, and, and reinstitute the kingdom of Israel. That's what Jesus' disciples are asking about. And Jesus, very patiently, he says, guys, that's, that's not what I'm talking about, and that's not 
That's not what you need to be focused on. That's, that's what the Lord is, is in, only in his timing, and we're going to trust the Father. But what you need to understand is that you're going to receive power. They were looking for some sort of external power that was going to overthrow this oppressive, evil, pagan regime that was making their lives miserable. They wanted Jesus to fix the problem. Here's the strange thing. Jesus never left the geographical area about the size of Rhode Island. But he changed the entire world, and he overthrew the Roman Empire. Jesus' disciples, they wanted the overthrow of the Roman Empire at that moment. They wanted their kingdom restored at that moment. But Jesus says, no, actually, there's, there's another way that I want you to do this. And so I want to ask the question tonight, how in the world did Jesus and 11 disciples take down the greatest empire that the world had ever known? How is it that this man who never left an area the size of Rhode Island brought down the Roman Empire? Well, it took a few hundred years. But here's what we know from, from history. About, about 30, 40 years after this moment in Acts, the Romans invade Jerusalem and completely destroy it. They lay, lay waste to the temple. The temple mount is completely destroyed and desecrated. It is the opposite of what Jesus' disciples were hoping for in this passage. It was the, it was the antithesis of their idea of the Messiah restoring the earthly kingdom. But because of the persecution, because of what happened, Jesus' disciples were forced to obey his instructions. Now, some of you are going to sigh. Right? Some of you are going to go, not again, but we're going to read from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And I'm going to read this text until you guys finally get it. This is how Jesus and his disciples took down the Roman Empire and built the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 28, verse 18 through 20, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus destroyed the Roman Empire Jesus destroyed their enemies by making them their brothers. Jesus destroys our enemies by redeeming them, by forgiving their sins, and making them our brothers and sisters in Christ. And what happened is we see Jesus' 11 disciples obey this command, and they go out and they make it their mission to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And within 300 years, Christianity becomes the primary religion of the Roman Empire. And about 10 years from that, Christianity becomes the major or official religion of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire becomes the Holy Roman Empire. And by virtue of discipleship, Christianity takes over the world, little by little by little. It wasn't easy. It was through great persecution. It was, it was probably not the change they wanted. Because the disciples who were asking Jesus, at this time are you going to restore your kingdom, they never, they never saw what Jesus was planning to do with the Roman Empire. They never realized how the kingdom of heaven was going to advance forcefully across the globe. They couldn't imagine what it is. And I, I think for us, sometimes we get so nearsighted because we want the kingdom to come right now. 
We want something that looks powerful and strong. We want something that, that people will look at and fear and say, look at the power and authority of the kingdom of heaven. And it's not in any way that the, God's kingdom is weak or inferior, but it's in its simplicity. It's in the obedience to Jesus' command that we see the power of the kingdom of God going forth. Now, I know that you guys have heard me talk about this text a hundred times, but tonight I'm going to try to be brief, and I want to show you four observations that I have from this text. First, we see that biblical discipleship begins with death to self. The first thing Jesus tells them, so he's telling them, hey, go and make disciples, and then he gives them instructions on how to make disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, well, I'm with you to the end of the age. So Jesus is giving them a step-by-step guide to how to make disciples. The first thing is baptism. Baptism is representative of our death to our current self and living a new life in Christ. You cannot be a disciple unless you would die to yourself. I think all the rest of the things, when we have problems, we have to look back and go, well, did I die to myself? Did I really, really die to the old way of thinking and being and am I alive to Christ? I think many people who profess faith in Jesus have never come to a place where they were willing to surrender their plans, their ideas. Jesus' disciples were part of a movement that changed the world because they died to their own ambitions and their own expectations. And they simply made disciples, even though there was no fame or adoration. There was no popularity. They just faithfully made disciples who made disciples. Number two. Biblical discipleship crosses all ethnic and cultural boundaries. Jesus' command was to make disciples of all nations. There's no comfortable way to say this, but we're really bad at this, guys. We're really, really good at being friends who are like us. We really like hanging out with people who like the same music as us, the same food as us, who share our culture, who like what we like, because that is easy and comfortable for us. But a gospel that does not transcend culture is not gospel. If it is only good news to you and people who are like you and people who live where you live, then that is not good news at all. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is meant to transcend culture. Discipleship is meant for all ethnos. Ethnos is the word that we see here in the Greek for nations. It's not talking about nation states or even linguistic groups. It's talking about people groups. See, here's the thing. If you only disciple people who look like you, then only people who look like you will make it into the kingdom. And where does that leave the rest of the world? Where does that leave the rest of us? And here's the thing. This is really difficult because it's really messy. Because sometimes we're just really uncomfortable talking about the obvious things in the room. Can I just be real honest? Like, it breaks my heart that church is still the most segregated place in our society. This should not be so. But the problem is, we know how to preach it, people. We know how to, how to get on our bandwagon. We know how to, how to have a good time with people are like this, who are like us, but we don't know how to go and sit down across from someone and have a meaningful conversation about Jesus and what it looks like for them in their context and in their culture and in their society to be like Jesus. We haven't, we haven't learned to contextualize the gospel for each person. Instead, we've 
chosen things that get results quickly because we, we want to see the kingdom come now. We want to see something great now. We want some sort of revival now. We want something awesome now. And to be honest, some of the greatest missionaries in the world saw little to no fruit. Adoniram Judson, famous missionary to Burma, buried more team members than he saw converts because he was doing the hard work of translating the Bible into a language no one had ever translated the Bible to. He was trying to contextualize the gospel to people that no Christian had ever had a conversation with. And the reality is is it's difficult to cross culture. It's difficult to have hard conversations. But discipleship is not discipleship if it only benefits people who are like us, if it only benefits people who are in our circle. If it's only for us, if it's only good news for me, then it's not good news, and it's not the gospel. Jesus' command was clearly that our discipleship would be cross-cultural. Anything less than this is disobedience. Number three, observation number three. I'm going to move along. Biblical discipleship produces radical obedience. Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe or teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. You know, I think the average person who professes to be a Christian probably doesn't know most of what Jesus commanded or taught, and they definitely haven't read it for themselves. I think sometimes we're nervous to call people to radical obedience to Jesus because it seems crazy. I, I think... It's this guy I don't really agree with a lot, but he's fun to listen to. His name's Paul Washer. Anyways, if you want to listen to him on the internet, that's fine. Um, but I think he's right about this thing. He said, he says this, the issue is this, is that there's, there's this like cultural net closing in around us. And there is some remnant of Christianity left in our culture, but it's a really, really distorted remnant. And what's going to happen is people aren't going to say you're crazy for following Jesus. They're not going to say that. What they're going to say is that your brand of following Jesus is some weird, ridiculous, extremist version. You should just be more tolerant and accepting and less legalistic. Because people will think you're crazy if you start doing the things the Bible says. People will look at you sideways. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to sit across from someone who's your peer and look them in, your, in their eyes and say, I love you, but this is what it means to obey Jesus' commands. This is hard because we really like the approval of our peers. We really like the approval of our parents. We really like the approval of people that matter to us. And, and the problem with that is, is the things that Jesus calls us to are radical. Listen. When you tell your parents that the Lord has called you to fly all the way around the world to be a missionary to some unreached people group, your parents are going to, I'm going to get an angry phone call. I know it because I've gotten a lot of those angry phone calls because it seems crazy to people whose devotion to Jesus is surface level. But when we read the commission to go and make disciples of all nations, my question is, what else should we do? How else do we respond but to do the things that Jesus has said. But being a disciple, it produces radical obedience that will look strange to those around us. Disciples who don't obey the teachings of Jesus are, in fact, not disciples at all. 
Observation number four from this text. Biblical discipleship produces disciples who produce more disciples. Yes, and I know you've memorized that. Disciples who don't make disciples are in fact not disciples. Disciples who don't make disciples are in fact not disciples. You see, here's the reality. This is the central command. This is the central instruction. This is the essential how-to model that Jesus gives his disciples of what they should be doing. And somehow we've tried, treated it as if it's optional. It's like a thing that a, a certain elect few do. Instead, we busy ourselves with things for our own entertainment and our own enjoyment. And listen, there are a lot of things that we do in the name of Jesus that are not bad. Listen, it's, it's not bad that we have fun things. It's not bad that we have fellowship. It's not bad that we have music. It's not bad that we... But Jesus doesn't need a guitar, and Jesus doesn't need, like, instruments, and Jesus doesn't need a sound. Jesus doesn't need any of this. To be honest, it's really more for our benefit than it is for his. And we spend so much of our effort serving Jesus in things that have nothing to do with discipleship. And it's okay. It's not bad to do those things, right? I showed up here at five and, you know, we put water in the pool and we set up stuff and I'm not going to stop doing it. But here's the question. Can you draw a straight line between what you're doing for Jesus and how it helps you make disciples? Because if what you're doing for Jesus isn't helping or contributing to making disciples, then you're probably wasting your time. Because the command is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You see, I'm sure there are things you don't like about the world. I don't know your political opinions. I'm sure they're bad, but I don't know what they are. Mine are probably better, and we would probably disagree, and I'd be happy to argue with you when we're done tonight. I don't know what you like or don't like is about society. I don't know what you like or don't like about Troy University. I don't know what you like or don't like about your family. I bet you don't dislike any of it as much as first century Jews hated the Roman Empire and wanted to see its demise and its collapse. I don't know what people group that you can't stand to be around because you just don't like them. The solution is, is not that God is going to come and send a tidal wave and wash them all away. The solution is not that somehow we're going to do a great job and we're just going to get rid of all the bad people or vote them out of office or somehow... You know, politicians will no longer be corrupt. I'm just, I'm just telling you, that's, that's not the solution. The solution is Jesus' model of bringing the kingdom to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Listen, I see lots of problems in the church, and I'm sure you guys, I hear, I hear you complaining about all the things that you think are wrong with the church, and that's okay. You want to do something about it? Make disciples of the next generation of Christians and teach them to read the Bible Teach them to love God's word. Teach them to live biblical lifestyles and change will come. It just won't come at the pace that you want it to come. Jesus' disciples, they wanted to see Rome fall. And it didn't happen in their lifetime. It was about 300 years later before the persecution ever even ended. Before it began to let up. But Jesus knew what he was doing. Jesus had a reason for picking 11 people and investing all of his time, energy, and effort in teaching those people to do what he did. Now, I tell this story every year, and I'm trying not to, to bore you or belabor this point. But every year I have this conversation. I'm not going to attach any names. But I just have this same conversation every year about this. 
And, and here's how the conversation goes. Yes, I agree. This is all good. It's God's word. But let me just explain my situation because I really think if you'll hear me out, this doesn't apply to me. If you just understood how busy I am, if you just understood my parents' expectations for me, if you just understood this scenario or that scenario or how tired I am or how difficult my major is, and we have all of these things that somehow we believe grant us an exception to Jesus' command. As if discipleship was some third option that we do in our spare time, that super Christians who are really, really, really mature in their faith, that they participate in discipleship. The rest of us just show up on Sunday morning, sing our songs, and go home. I'm sure some of you are thinking, man, Justin's just trying to recruit us so we'll work harder. That may be true. Listen, I, I don't care. I don't care if you never serve a day making disciples for Chi Alpha. I don't care if you never lead a small group. Listen, you do not need my blessing to go make disciples. You know what? You, you need, the only competency you need is to say, hey, what do you know about Jesus? Okay, you want to learn more? Cool, what are you doing tomorrow at noon? Let's get lunch. Like, listen, that is my tactic for making disciples. It's really simple. Listen, Jesus made this so simple that even you could do it. It doesn't take a great evangelist. It doesn't create, take someone who's super skilled. And it doesn't matter what your excuses are. Listen to the words of Jesus. This is what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you don't like this, your problem is not with me. Take it up with Jesus. It's not my words. It's really simple. You either make disciples or you disobey. But to call yourself a disciple and not make disciples, <clears throat> uh, um, I, make, I make memes sometimes. I don't know if you guys ever see my memes. Emily told me she saw my meme, but she didn't want to like it because I didn't like her post. I don't know how that works. But anyways, um, I'm really bad at the internet. I made a meme. I made a meme this week. Uh, some of you guys saw it. It says, trying to follow Jesus without making disciples is like trying to be like Michael Phelps without learning how to swim. It doesn't work. Because making disciples is what Jesus did. And to say you're following Jesus and not making disciples is illogical. Now, I know I've probably been very blunt and heavy-handed and mean and all the things. That's fine. Um, now you want to hear the heartwarming part? Yeah, yeah let's do that. Uh, can I tell you guys some stories? I'm actually going to tell a lot of stories. Hey, um, so we got a picture, right? First one. This is Haley. You guys have probably never met Haley. Uh, maybe some of you met her at SALT. Um, she, she works with Chi Alpha at, um, in Tennessee at, at um, Tennessee Tech. I met Haley her freshman year at Troy. Um, when I met Haley, um, she wasn't really living for Jesus a whole lot. Um, things were not going well in her life, and so she showed up to a Kyle for worship service, and um, she decided that 
you know, her direction wasn't good. She had made some really bad choices. Some bad things had happened as a result of those choices. She had gone some places and done some things she shouldn't have done. And she was really struggling with that. And so um, near the end of that school year, um, like we do every year, we do this thing where we do uh, leadership applications. And, um, and we ask a lot of questions, a lot of really specific questions, because like if we're going to disciple you, we kind of need to know where you're at with Jesus. And if you're going to disciple other people, we really need to know. And so we're going to ask questions like, hey, describe what your quiet time looks like. Hey, describe what it means that you've surrendered your life to Jesus. Like give us some practical things that like what it looks like for you. And we ask a whole bunch of really hard questions. And Haley was really mad at me. Actually, all her friends were mad at me. And they all requested a meeting with me. And they had like highlighted and circled. We had paper applications. They were just, they were mad. They're like, what are you trying to say? That I don't really love Jesus? And I was like, I didn't say anything. <laughs> just ask questions. And, and so Haley, I remember she was sitting in my office and she was just, she was laying into me. She was yelling at me probably. Um, I was like, what are you really, really mad at? She's like, well, nobody ever asked me these questions. When you ask me these questions, it makes me realize that I'm not where I need to be with Jesus. I said, well, I'm really glad that you got upset then. Let's talk about that. Anyways, that was a good talk. Haley, Haley's been following Jesus ever since. Haley did eventually uh, lead a small group. Uh, next slide. And then Haley um, discipled this girl named A.V. Now listen, let me tell you about A.V. <clears throat> She's one of the reasons I don't have much hair left. <sighs> A.V. was, AV was uh, probably like a lot of you guys. Um, she grew up um, in church, church, Christian family, right? Uh, she went to a Christian school, actually, and she would come for worship service once in a blue moon, right? Uh, she knew all the right things to say, and she, she had good answers, uh, but let's just be real honest. She was living a separate life outside, and it was not God-honoring, and Man, Haley used to come and complain to me all the time. She's like, I got this stupid freshman, and she's just, she's not listening, and she's not faithful, and she's not available, and she's not teachable, and she won't show up, and I just want to give up on her. I was like, nah, no, we can't give up on her. Just, just keep trying. And so for three years, three years, Haley literally chased and fought for AV. And then, and then one year, um, I don't know what happened. It was just the Holy Spirit just... Just conviction hit her, and like literally in, in the time span of like a month, like there was a complete turnaround. And like she went from like, I don't want to meet with people one-on-one, -on -one. I don't like talking about my faith, and I'm not going to read the Bible, and I don't have to pray, and I don't want to do those things you're telling me I should do, to how do I tell my mom that I'm called to be a missionary? I was like, <laughs> yeah, that's going to be a shock for your mom. Um, yeah, because... Because, you know, this whole idea of, like, obeying the commands of Jesus was not really high on her family's priority list at that time. Anyway, so then A.V., um, yeah, she was a small group leader, and, and she did the CMIT program with Chi Alpha. Oh, Haley did that, too, by the way. Anyways, all right, then we got this next slide. Here we go. Keep going. You guys okay? Listen, my story's great. This is, this is uh, Haley, uh, another Haley. I mean, we got a lot of Haley's, Haley's and Caitlin's. I don't know if it's, like, in the water or what. But anyways, this is Haley, uh, Mitchell, and Caitlin Durell. Um, so listen, uh, A.V. discipled these girls, and they were pretty good, actually. We didn't have a lot, whole lot of trouble out of them for the most part. Um, yeah, um, Haley works on staff at a church in Trustville, and Caitlin is uh, on staff with Chi Alpha at Auburn. And so A.V. kind of did a decent job mentoring these guys. 
And then, and then we got this, this last slide. I don't know if you guys recognize these people. One more slide. We got one more? Yeah, 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 yeah. So then these girls right here, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, were, they were in um, a, small, a small group that Caitlin was one of the leaders of, and then while they were student leaders, they, they were mentored by AV. Um, bless our hearts. So um, listen, I tell people, listen, you don't, you, you don't impart what you know, you impart who you are, and you can't get around that. Yep, yep, and so um, I could tell you so many stories about when Caitlin and Christine were small group leaders as students. We had a lot of fun. We'll, we'll leave it at that for now. It wasn't always easy, but they're still here and they're still serving Jesus, and that makes me proud. And so tonight, can I get Allie and, and Mari to come, come up here with me? I told them, they knew they were going to have to come up here. I didn't, they didn't know they were going to be part of my sermon illustration. Just come stand right here next to me. Y'all make me look good. Mm. So listen. So, um, Allie, uh, whose small group are you in? I'm in Caitlin's. All right, whose small group are you in? Um, I'm in Christine's. Mm. Mm. You see, see here, here's the thing. It's not just some crazy theoretical thing that we read in the Bible and doesn't make sense. Discipleship makes perfect sense. Because what would have happened if Haley had said, yeah, just kidding, I don't want to answer your questions about my quiet time. I don't want to let you into my life to talk about what it looks like to obey Jesus. I'm, I'm just going to go do my color guard thing, and I'm going to have fun with my friends, and I don't really need this. I'm going to show up on Sunday morning and sing the songs and go home. What if at any point any of these people had decided discipleship was just too hard? It's just not worth it. It takes too much time. People are hard-headed, and they don't listen. Mm. Then we wouldn't be having the conversation we're having tonight. They wouldn't have the opportunity to baptize these young ladies tonight. You see, here's the thing. All of you are here because somebody fought for you. All of you are here because somebody else thought you were worth the time and effort and energy. Somebody believed that the future of the church would be different if they invested in your spiritual growth. This is why we make disciples, because Jesus has commanded us to make disciples who make disciples. Now listen, we really do impart um, what we are, and this is, there's no pressure, ladies, okay? But if you look up here, right? Every one of these people are serving the Lord in full-time ministry today. <clears throat> All but one of them with Chi Alpha. So just uh, throw it out there. Um, we have a great CMIT program. And um, anyways, oh, sorry. We can, we can stop now. All right, great here. All right, so here's what we're going to do. These ladies, uh, they're going to share um, their profession of faith with you guys before they're baptized tonight. I want you guys to give them uh, your, your, your undivided attention. And then when they finish, we're all going to cheer as loud as we can for them. Okay, that's how this is going to work, all right? So um, I'm going to give you this mic, and you say whatever you want to say. So starting from the beginning, during my sophomore and junior year of high school, I did what most high schoolers do and made a lot of mistakes and bad decisions. Um, some of these included swearing, constantly having a bad attitude, 
and occasionally drinking. Um, starting senior year, I went into a slight depression. I didn't want to hang out with friends or go to school functions or do anything that involved interacting with people that weren't my friends or family. Um, I had no purpose in life, so I didn't really have the drive to do anything meaningful with my life. Um, but coming to Chi Alpha in the fall and joining my small group, I began to see a life with purpose. Through sermons, small group, and talking with friends, I began to feel a sense of conviction for the words, actions, and beliefs I previously held. After learning about repentance and finding out what it means, I decided it was time to turn away from the sins I committed in the past and truly follow Jesus. When he first laid it on my heart to be baptized, I rejected it. I made excuses because I didn't think it was necessary. Soon after, I repented for my disobedience and that I wasn't listening to the things he asked me to do and for believing that I knew what was best for me. Since then, God has transformed my life into a life full of joy and gratitude. He has softened my heart that was bitter, changed my attitude from selfishness to thankfulness. God has shown me that his heart desires to have a relationship with us even when we don't feel worthy of it. He saved me of a life of numbness and gave me a purpose. I want to live a life that glorifies him and leads others to know and love him as I do. To share my story, encourage others, and most importantly, grow and deepen my relationship with God. And lastly, I just want to thank everyone that has helped and encouraged me along this journey. It really means a lot to me. That makes it real. Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, okay. <clears throat> um, I could probably write a book about all the things God has done in my life. In the past few months, I am in a place that I never would have expected. I've been closer to God than I've ever been. It's exhilarating and scary all at the same time. This is one of the best decisions I've made in my life. Deciding to surrender myself to Jesus, I am deciding to be free, free from myself, free from shame, surrendering my own plans for his, living for him and being a reflection of him, and actually living out his will for me, fully putting all of my trust into his plans for me. I really can't tell y'all how many times I didn't probably try to back out of this. Yeah, I, I have, and changed my mind because of what others might think of me. And I've been too scared to take the next step, so instead I've made excuses to help me feel better. And no matter what excuse I made, there was a step that just couldn't be skipped, and I knew that. Um, I was scared because this makes it real. Um, I'm just, I am actually giving myself away. It's just something I didn't expect to happen. I am incredibly grateful to everyone who's helped me get to this point, but I thank God for saving me from myself. Today, I finally get to put what has been hindering me to rest. Today, that old me, that old identity is no more. Today, I finally get to let go, and that's so freeing. And today, I finally commit all of me to Jesus.
right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over these ladies before we head out to baptize them. If you guys will stand with me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us so that we could have forgiveness of our sins, so that all of our past would no longer be held against us, but we could live a new life in you, that you would make us a new creation. Lord, we thank you that you are making Allie and Mari a new creation, a special creation for your glory. And Lord, we just pray from this day forward that they'll never look back to the old life. We pray from this day forward that they would have their faces set towards you, that they will walk resolutely into whatever your plans are for them. And Lord, we just pray that you'll be glorified by their life, that their lives will testify of your goodness and of your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Troy Chi Alpha podcast. For more information about the ministry of Troy Chi Alpha, you can look us up online at troychialpha.com. You can email us at troychialpha at gmail.com or find us on social media at Troy Chi Alpha. Thanks for listening.